let's, let's stand all over the building tonight. Good to see everybody out. Pastor's running a few minutes late. He's going to go ahead and get things started. So uh, just be praying for him as he comes in. But we'll go ahead and get started. Everybody sing, Let's Talk About Jesus tonight. teach these kids the word of God. God, I pray, Lord, if it be your will tonight, God, we could see a precious soul come to know Christ as Savior. God, speak to these children tonight and be with us here in the congregation tonight. Lord, touch our pastors. He prepares to preach the word as well. Father, we thank you tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Need a couple of volunteers? Jace, come on, Ryder. Come on, Jake from State Farm. All right. <laughs> You probably hear that too much, don't you? All right, we're going to say our pledges tonight. Hold that flag up high, Ryder. Here we go. American flag. Let's pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. All right. Christian flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. All right, hold that Bible up, Jake. That's our pledge to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path and hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. All right, all adults can be seated. All the Awana folks remain standing. See those flags. Appreciate it, Jason. We're going to do a little song the preacher was talking about Sunday. Hadn't done it in a little while. I'm in the Lord's Army. Y'all remember how it goes? We've done it a few times. Never march in the infantry, ride the cavalry, shoot the artillery, zoom or the enemy. I'm in the Lord's army. Get to the end, you say, yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Let's try it one time, see how it goes.
at Calvary. We'll sing uh, first, second, and last verse, hymn number 66 tonight. microphone because you see how nasty it is because I spit in it all the time. You want it back there, Brother Ken? <laughs> all right, good to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. We're going to open up in prayer. Thank you for coming out on this Wednesday night. Let's join together in prayer this evening. Father, we sure love you tonight. and We're glad to be in your house. We don't take for granted the fact that your doors are open and folks are here to hear from heaven tonight. So I pray that you'd feed us with your word. Thank you for the young folks that came this evening. Bless the Iwana instructors. And Lord, we're always so grateful for them taking time out of their schedules, Lord, to prepare and teach on this Wednesday night. Bless our Bible study time prayer request. May your son be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Ken. Still in, still in the blue songbook tonight, hymn number 374. It's one we hadn't done in a while. Send the light. We'll do the first verse and chorus. Hymn number 374. There's a call comes ringing all the restless waves in the
All right, folks, good to see you tonight. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, I will share something with you just to put a smile on your face. I always talk about my 350-pound doctor. Uh, well, I had to go see him yesterday uh, for my results of my, my semi-annual blood work. So he comes in, and he sits down. He takes a look at the blood work, and he says, uh, hmm. And I looked up at him, and I went, hmm. He said, uh, hmm. And I said, hmm. He said, uh, reckon we ought to talk about the weight gain? And I looked at him, and I said, only if I can talk about your weight gain. He looked up at me, and he smiled, and I smiled, and he starts going through the results, and this is up, and that's up, and that's up. And I said, Dr. Sassy, you do understand that my insurance is paying you a lot of money to be this ugly to me. He looked at me, and he said, yep, that's the reason you pay me. So he handed me a dot, and I handed it back to him, and I said, I'll do it if you will. He ripped it up. So amen. <laughs> I appreciate you coming out tonight on a Wednesday night. Let's go uh, take some prayer requests this evening, things that you want to share tonight. We'll start over on my left this evening. Yes, sir. Brother Shane. All right. Let's remember both of those. I know you've been praying for the young girl, Caitlin No. Uh, she was found. Uh, she's safe. Uh, continue to pray for her some other issues going on there. Uh, we were on the phone with the authorities today with her, uh, with her family, but pray for that. Some serious situations there. Her mother asked me to share that at the church. Somebody else tonight on my left. Josh, we'll go front to back. Josh? All five of them this week. All right, remember Sarah. Wow. All right, saw several other hands. Yes, Rufus. All right, buddy. We'll do it. Yes, ma'am? Last week, right? We thought she was home last week, that she'd been home all week. All right, go ahead. Oh, that's what, oh, I didn't know she went back. All right. Th thank you so much. Still with pneumonia, is that still what she's struggling with? COPD, gotcha. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So, yes, ma'am. Go ahead, Christy. Absolutely. Thank you. Somebody else on my left tonight want to share? Yes, ma'am. I sure wish I'd gotten one for mine. You want to switch? Amen. We'll switch reports. How about that? All right, thank you, Sister Nichols. Somebody else on my left tonight want to share a request tonight? In the middle, we'll go front to back uh, this evening. Brother, Brother Cassidy? Yep. Yep, owns a garage right down here. Remember him. Precious young man. Well, he's young. Yep, Miss Leanne? Yep. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you so much. I saw some other hands. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that so much. Over here, I saw yes, ma'am. All right, certainly. Any other outspoken requests? Yep, Brother Keith. Yep. Amen, buddy. That's awesome, Keith. That's awesome, buddy. Somebody else in the middle tonight, Chester Wayne. Certainly, certainly. Brother Upchurch. Absolutely. I was chatting with Shannon yesterday, and uh, he's got home health care. Still got a long, 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 long ways to go, so pray for Brother Billy. Yes, ma'am, Miss Helbert. All right. Absolutely. And where is he? Where's West Virginia. All right. Remember that family. Thank you, Mrs. Helbert. Anybody else in the middle tonight? Thank you for all of these folks. All right, on my right tonight, want to share. We'll go front to back. Michelle? All right. Yep, I remember that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anybody else on my right? Ms. Irma? Amen. Amen, Miss Irma. Somebody else on my right, thank you for all these tonight. Anyone else? I think I heard that baby say amen. I'm telling you, I did. Somebody else on my right. Yeah, I continue to lift up Brother Robert. He's at Stanley Town, so remember Brother Robert. Thank you, honey. Appreciate that. Somebody else? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Brother War. Appreciate that. Any other outspoken requests tonight? Unspoken requests you want to just make known by uplifted hand? Fellas, make your way down tonight. Uh, uh, ushers, if you would, please, if you haven't worshipped the Lord with tithes and offerings, uh, you can do that now. I'm going to pray. Congregation, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Jude tonight. The book of Jude. Of course, turn to the book of Revelation. Go back one page, and we'll continue in our study contending for the faith. But I'm going to pray over all of these requests tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to bear one another's burdens. Lord, uh, Again, we say so often, you've commanded in your word that we be our brother's burden bearer. And Lord, that's not a burden, it's a privilege. Lord, for these requests that have been outspoken tonight, Lord, I pray that you take each one of them. And Lord, give us courage, strength, and wisdom to accept your divine will in each situation. We thank you for answered prayer. So many times we fail to praise you for the little things that you do for us in answered prayer. Lord, now we've got unspoken requests. So many hands went up on, on, on unspoken requests as well. Lord, I'm glad tonight you hear unspoken requests. Bless this offering. And Lord, as we go into our Bible study time tonight, open scriptures illuminated for us now. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Thank you, fellas.
much, ladies. The book of Jude tonight, continuing with message number six in the series that we have entitled Contending for Our Faith. Contending for Our Faith. I'll remind you that the series title comes from verse number three, the last clause there, when Jude lets the readers know that it had been his desire to write a letter of encouragement to the church, a letter of support to the church, but he found things going on inside the church from folks who had turned away from the church, and he simply was unable to write this letter of encouragement, but rather wrote a letter of admonition reminding them that they needed to fight and stand up courageously and kindly for the things they believe in. That clause that we find at the end of verse number 3 says, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We've spent the last several weeks now talking about this term that we call apostasy or the apostates, those who have turned away from the faith, those who have brought shame and reproach upon the faith. I recognize it's not an easy thing to talk about, Yet Jude reminds us that it is an important thing for us to talk about. I preached, of course, the last two Sunday mornings out of the book of Esther. And Brother Joe, who was here Sunday, came in at the last minute, and or rather right before the preaching. He and I stayed around and talked for a while afterwards. And I told him again that when I get to heaven, my preaching is going to be as good as his praying. But we chatted a few minutes about the book of Esther. And how so many folks misunderstand the book of Esther, how they look at it uh, incorrectly. And it's all about one person, what one person can do when they courageously yet kindly step up and become a soldier for Christ. That's really what contending for the faith is all about. So tonight, we're going to go into verses 14, 15, and 16, where we talk about a subject that frankly is not easy to talk about where we talk about a passage that's not easy to talk about. Yet I'm reminded that Paul said to Timothy to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. We can't pick and choose the things that we like and leave out the things that we don't like. And the part that we look at tonight, for many of us, are things that we don't want to talk about. But you understand, if there is a heaven, then there must also be a hell. And that is exactly what we'll be looking at tonight in verses 14, 15, and 16. Because... Jude is going to remind us what the end game is for the apostates. He's going to talk to us just a little bit about what the end result is for those who dwell in apostasy. I have to tell you, I can remember as a youngster being absolutely terrified whenever the preacher would preach on hell. And it didn't seem like it was too often that that subject didn't come up, to be quite honest with you. I can remember one of the most scary moments of my life uh, as a young pre-teenager was when a, a video was shared in our church called The Burning Hell. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Several of you. You put your hands up. Lots of you. And in fact, I remember thinking to myself, uh, what a terrifying thing. Can I submit to you tonight that, that, that though the subject is not popular, the reality is just as real. Things haven't changed. In fact, the Bible says hell hath enlarged itself. One of my favorite preachers has a very famous quote and I'm going to read it directly to you tonight because it bears important upon what we're sharing this evening. Here's what he says. And I, when, I, when I quote preachers, I usually don't give you the name. 
And I do that with intentionality because uh, you understand uh, preachers fall into camps and people fall into camps. And sometimes when you give the preacher's name, if people don't like the preacher, they turn out the, tune out the message, and that's silly. So I don't always give you the names, but here's what this preacher said. Hell is certainly not popular in Western society. In an age uh, in which we live, the topic of eternal punishment is taboo. The very mention of it is considered unloving. After all, postmodern culture believes that everyone is good and expects that life after death includes heaven for everybody but the most evil of people. Sadly, political correctness and doctrinal ambiguity that characterizes the world has also infiltrated the church. Even among those who consider themselves evangelicals, hell is regarded as a theological embarrassment. Let me say that again because that is a powerful statement. He says, even among those who consider themselves evangelicals, that means we're trying to win others to the Lord, hell is considered a theological embarrassment. Passages that teach about hell are often explained away arbitrarily softened, or ignored altogether. As a result, society's erroneous views about God's judgment are ignored and never spoken about. I submit to you again tonight that if we're going to go verse by verse, we can't skip verses we don't like. If we're going to study a book, we got to study the whole book. So listen carefully tonight as we talk about... Uh, this uh, subject that I'm in titled The Final Appointment of the Apostates. The Final Appointment of the Apostates. Let's go ahead and read verses 14, 15, and 16 together. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Who are the these? The ones we've been talking about. Those uh, apostates. Saying, Behold, the Lord cometh, with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have, un which they have ungodly committed and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Three things that we'll look at tonight. We'll take each one of those verses, break them down. Each one of them becomes their own point. Number one, note with me in verse 14, the prophecy that is spoken about tonight. The prophecy that is spoken about. Interestingly, verse 14 says something that if you go back and look in Genesis... You're going to get a little bit confused because it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands, plural, of his saints. Again, what we're talking about are the end result, the end game, the end appointment of those who have walked away, turned away from God, who have uh, ignored the commandments of God, who have who have become what we declare as apostates. Now, if you go back into Genesis, you will find that when the genealogies are listed, that the seventh generation after Adam 
is this man called Enoch. There is very little we know about Enoch. Here's what we know about him. He was a godly man who walked with God, and he was not because God took him. That's all that we know. He was a godly man, he walked with God, and he was not because God took him. In other words, he walked so closely to God that one day uh, he was so close to heaven that God just took him straight on over to the other side. Uh, Americans have their uh, astronauts, Russians have the cosmonauts, and we have our Enochnauts, wasnauts, amen. The reality is that is all we know about Enoch from a canon perspective. The only thing that Scripture tells us about Enoch that he walked with God and he was not because God took him. So what in the world is Jude talking about when he references this prophecy of Enoch concerning the apostates? We get into a little bit of what is referred to as extra-biblical literature. Oftentimes you will hear preachers quote or talk about historical works, things like Josephus, who was the first Christian and Jewish uh, theological historian that we are aware of. We understand a lot of the Jewish cultures and norms of the day because Josephus would write about them. So you will hear preachers talk about Josephus. You will occasionally hear preachers reference books that were written during this time period. And one of those books is a book by the name of One Enoch or First Enoch. For those of you who get into this kind of stuff, it is not part of the Apocrypha. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. It is rather a book that was very famous, a book of Jewish cultures, traditions, and histories. And in that book, which was passed down verbally before it was written down, there is a reference to something, a prophecy that Enoch supposedly made when he was alive. You don't really need to know all that. Here's what you need to know, and here's what's important. Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. And even back then, which was, by the way, during the time of Noah's lifetime, if you will, even back then there were those who walked in apostasy. That's 4,000 years before Christ was born, there were those who were walking in apostasy. Can I fast forward 6,000 years? Things haven't changed. We still have people uh, who openly deny God, who openly deny what we stand so firmly upon. And Enoch said, according to Jude, 6,000 years ago, that they would have an end result. And that has not changed some 6,000 years later. Keep, no, keep reading with me. Go back into that same verse, if you would. And let's read it one more time. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold... The Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. I find this absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, I really am astounded by this simple thought. Because I think this says a great deal about just how close Enoch really was with God. Let me, let me give you this to think on and chew on a little bit. Our Bible tells us a lot. But there's a lot that it doesn't tell us. we got to kind of read between the gaps. For instance, it tells us that Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? What does that mean that Enoch walked with God? Does that mean that they were in communion with one another? That they had a conversation with one another? Does that mean that God revealed to Enoch his divine plan through the ages? I'm fascinated by the fact 
that before there was ever the first advent of Christ, stay with me, before Jesus was ever born the first time, Enoch's talking about when he's going to come the second time. Think about that for a second. That, and again, I'm kind of feeling in the gaps here. I'm kind of reading between the lines that Enoch was so close to God that he had the heartbeat and the understanding of God in such a way that he understood that Jesus was going to be born once, was going to die, and he was going to come back a second time. And when he came back a second time, he was going to bring back thousands upon thousands upon thousands of his saints with him. That blows my mind. Before there was the first coming of the Lord, Enoch's talking about the second coming of the Lord. You know what that says to me? Enoch walked with God. Enoch knew the heartbeat of God. And that to me is why I think that Enoch didn't have to taste death. God just took him home. Took him home. Let's go to verse number 15. Number one tonight, there's the prophecy. Number two, this is the hard part, but it's important. There's the punishment. For those that are being described in verse number 14, Scripture says, Why is the Lord coming back? Why? Let's mention in verse 15. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You understand that when we talk about the second coming of the Lord, which is what's being mentioned in verse 14, we are not talking about the rapture of the church. We need to differentiate those two. It's important that you understand. When the Lord comes back to rapture the church, he never sets foot on planet earth. He doesn't bring anybody with him. We rise to meet him. You understand that when the Lord comes to rapture the church, as described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation 4, uh, that he is not coming uh, with any saints with him. He's not coming to bring judgment. Rather, he's coming to rapture the bride out of here. We're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about when he comes back at Revelation chapter 19. When you see him coming back uh, on a white horse uh, and a royal diadem, and on it says, King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. You understand at that point when he comes back, he comes back with a plan. He comes back with a mission, and that plan and that mission is to finally and forever deal with sin. What does he do? Well, he brings judgment. According to what we just read in verse 15, he's coming to execute judgment. It's a sobering statement. It's a sobering thought. But let's put it down to where we can all understand it. I think you will amen me on this. Regardless of race, creed, or color, sin must be atoned. Sin must be judged. If God doesn't, say amen, if God doesn't judge sin, he's not a holy God. For God to be holy, he must judge sin. For those of us that are saved, that judgment occurred at Calvary. Amen. Our sins were atoned for and judged at Calvary. But for everybody else, there must be a judgment day. There must be a judgment day. It is what Revelation calls the great white throne of judgment. 
Not the Bema seat. If you were with us when we went through Revelation, you understand the difference. The Bema seat is where Christians are rewarded for their faithfulness. Uh, but the great white throne of judgments are when the lost are say, or lost are judged for their lack of salvation. That's what's being referenced here. It's a sobering thought, but it is an important one. And I understand, and you understand, and we all get the fact that that doesn't make for popular preaching anymore. It doesn't draw a crowd. Sure doesn't boost the offering plate, but it is still as much in the book as John 3.16 is. Keep reading with me. What is he coming to judge? What is he coming to spark, if you will? Well, he defines it as two things. Notice what he says. Two elements that he calls out. I'll kind of put them in our language. But he says to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed. That's a lot of ungodlies in one clause, isn't it? <laughs> but if I could paraphrase that into our statement, he calls out those who have committed ungodly deeds that have never been dealt with. Let me pause a moment because you may be sitting there, wait a minute, preacher, even post-salvation, I'm not perfect. I still have sin in my life. Here's a, here's a thought that ought to make even, uh, even anybody want to shout. Sins that you've not yet committed have still been forgiven. Think about that for a second. Every sin that you did commit, that you have committed, or that you will commit have already been forgiven. That doesn't give you license to sin. That doesn't give you license to do anything you want to. Uh, but rather, it makes you understand why you want to live for God because he's already forgiven you. I feel like that's him saying amen. <laughs> understand that those ungodly deeds that have not been forgiven will be judged. Those whose actions are in open defiance of God. But not only the ungodly deeds, notice the rest of the verse, all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So he's judging for the ungodly deeds, but he's also judging for the ungodly words. Those whose words are words of hate and rebellion towards the Lord. Let me pause and give you a parenthesis here. It's an important one. And I hope everybody in the building will amen me on this. We understand that the lost will one day be judged. Here's what you need to also amen on. We as God's children have to love the lost while God judge their sin. We're not the judge of their sin. God is. So we have to openly and vibrantly and passionately love those for whom God will one day execute judgment. Why, preacher? Because if we don't love them, they'll never escape that judgment. If we don't love them, we'll never be able to give them a reason to get out of the judgment that's forthcoming and come to know the Lord. We must love those who don't love God. Think about that. We must love those who don't love us. And we must love those for whom one day God will execute judgment. That's their pathway to salvation. Let's go to verse 16. We've got the prophecy. We've got the punishment. And finally, we've got what I'm calling the philosophy. This is an important verse. And one that scares me just a little bit to the extent to which it has crept into the body of believers today. Verse 16. These are 
murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, with their mouth speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Again, you've heard me say half a dozen times, Jude does not pull punches. He's not politically correct. He lays it flat down on the line where the, where the rubber meets the road and there's no questions about it. He openly calls out, if you will, those who he's talking about. He characterizes them as follows. Number one, by their attitude. He says that those who are described as murmurers and complainers. Murmurers and complainers. I pause a moment to say this. Boy, do we ever see that today? Do we ever see that today? Would you amen this simple statement? If God never blessed you again, he's blessed you way more than what you deserve. And in fact, you and I know, this is one of the reasons why we know we don't have a license to sin. He's blessed us so much, we want to live for him. He's been so good to us, we want to live for him. I always liken it to a marriage relationship. That's one of the metaphors that Scripture uses uh, describing the relationship between Christ and the bride. I'm not faithful to my wife just because I have to be. I'm faithful to my wife because I'm scared not to be. Amen. I'm faithful to my wife because I want to be. It's an act of love because of the life we've created. The same principle applies to our relationship with Christ, church. We don't try to live a godly life because we're supposed to. We do it because we want to. What a difference. But you also understand that there has developed, was prevalent in Jude's day, and we're seeing it on steroids in our day, those who are never happy, those who can never be pleased, where it seems as if nothing is ever good enough where it seems like no matter how good God is to somebody, it is just never enough. Can I pause a moment and say, as bad as that is externally, it's even worse when it's in church. I'm going to say again, we know that God's been so good to us. In fact, if we got what we deserved, we'd be among those that are being talked about right now in Jude. Their attitudes. He goes on to say, not just their attitudes, but their activity. Walking, he says in verse number 15, excuse me, verse 16, walking after their own lusts. You also will have to amen that there is little concern today across our society for what is right and what is holy. We have determined that we decide what is right and what is holy. That's a dangerous statement, church. When we decide what's right and holy, separate and apart from the Word of God, we're in a dangerous position. I'll say again, as bad as that is externally, it's even more problematic when it squelches its way into church. And finally, their own agenda. And boy, this is where I want to hunker down for our last five minutes. Notice what it says at the end of verse 16. And their, and their mouth speaketh great Swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Their attitude, their activity, but their agenda. 
I think the best way to understand that last clause is with this simple statement. It's all about me. It's all about me. You understand that for the child of God, it's never all about us. It's all about him. It's all about what glorifies Christ. It's all about what gives glory and honor to what Christ did for us. You see, when the focus and attention becomes us, it's all focus. When the attention becomes about me, the attention is where it should not be. But my, 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 do we ever live in an all-about-me era. And I'm not even speaking. I hear people talk all the time about the selfie generation, the I generation, which is what the next generation is being called. You've got the greatest generation. You've got baby boomers, Generation X, the millennials, and the new generation is called the I, little like iPhone, iPad, the I generation, which says it's all about me. But listen, folks, it's not just that generation. That's made its way into all walks of society where we're more focused upon us and what we want than upon what Scripture says. We are not here tonight as God's people to talk about what's best for me. Rather, we're here to talk about what's best for Him, what brings honor and Him. It cannot be the mentality of the church. So go back with me and let's read tonight, finally, from verse 14 one more time. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, Walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And I want to go ahead just to close tonight, read the next three verses. We'll talk about them next week, but I want to read them. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, read one more, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Wow. When we get down into these next final passages, these next final verses, after really hammering home the plight and the description of these apostates, Jude, I think, very beautifully wraps it all back together and says, these are the ones you need to be praying for. These are the ones that you need to be loving. These are the ones uh, who you are reaching after to bring into the faith. It's It's a very fine line we walk church listen carefully I'm done it's a very fine line we walk between calling out sin yet loving the sinner and it's and it's dangerous to go too far in either direction are you with me when you go too far this direction you look like you're mean and hateful and judgmental when you go too far in the other direction you look like you're soft on sin and anything goes 
like so much is often the case with our faith, Christ gave us the best example of preaching against sin while loving the sinner. Let's stand to our feet tonight. If you want to make your way to the altar, you come on tonight. If there's someone in particular you're praying for, I invite you to join us tonight. I'll dismiss us in prayer. We sure thank you for coming out on a Wednesday evening to take prayer requests together and also to study the Word of God. So let's pray together tonight. Father, I want to pause before we go any further and thank you for the book of Jude, for the reminder about the importance of preaching on sin while at the same time lovingly witnessing to the sinner. Lord, it's a tightrope that we walk and one that we take seriously. Lord, we understand that the only way to win the lost is to love the lost. So help us, Lord, as a church to be principled, to be firm, while at the same time to be loving. Same time welcoming to those who are looking for help spiritually. Lord, we look out over the congregation and we see so many who had prayer requests tonight. Those who've got specials and spoken, those who had spoken requests. Lord, it's one of my favorite things of a Wednesday night service to know what to pray about in the days to come. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership that stands with us. Lord, we praise you for a group of believers who in this day and age have decided to step up to the line and contend for the faith. Lord, it's something we take very seriously in this day and age, contending for our faith until you come back to get us. We'll work till Jesus comes. Lord, continue to bless us as we study these last few verses of this powerful, powerful book. Lord, for those in our congregation who've lost loved ones this week, I pray that you'd bless them. Lord, bless Sister Marie Solomon as she's out of the hospital now. Lord, continue to touch her. Brother Robert, Brother Billy Whitlow, others in our congregation who've been hospitalized, touch them so that they'll be back with us soon. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we depart in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You are dismissed tonight. Thank you for coming this evening. Don't forget on uh, uh, Sunday, Brother Ken's birthday, folks. Uh, bring a gift card in, and if you're crazy enough, wear Carolina blue. Amen. <laughs>